passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Hey there. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, December 19th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. And not one, but two special guests joining us that we'll get to in just a moment. Today on the show, Scott's early SP rankings part two. Last week, we revealed his top 25, and today we'll try and get through the rest of his top 50. And we did have some big news since the last time we were on. We had an emergency podcast for Tyler Glass now that you can go back and listen to or watch on YouTube. Uh, but we got some big news on Max Scherzer and uh, some smaller moves to discuss, so we'll break those, on, uh, break those down later on as well. First, for about six months now, you've heard Scott refer to the middle class of starting pitchers as the glob. There is only one pair of humans qualified enough to help us break down this part of the pitcher rankings. You know them, you love them. From the Sleeper and the Bus podcast, Paul Sporer and Justin Mason. What's going on, gents? How you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having us on. Gotcha. I was, I was going to say, I'm not qualified to talk about the glob from a pitching sense. I am just from a t-shirt perspective. I am, <laughs> yeah. I am He's the face of it. Yeah. He's the mm-hmm. face of it. Exactly. Uh, these guys are the glob fathers. They're not <laughs> like I'm the usurper here, <laughs> the stealing the term father. from them. Uh, these guys were apparently talking about the glob back in, in 2019, the height of the juice ball era. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll notice Justin, if you're if you're watching on YouTube, he has that sign back on his wall, the globbery robbery, in reference <laughs> to me stealing stealing the term. And you know, that's I, it, I didn't know I was stealing it at the time when it was pointed out to me that these guys were referring to the glob at starting pitcher. 
a couple years before I was, it sounded familiar and it's possible that subconsciously that's why I chose that term because I had heard it to describe some pitching phenomenon in the past. And to be fair, I I guess I'm just going to get into the whole like, you know, the, the mea culpa now, I guess. But I do think what what you were describing as the glob in 2019 was was a slightly different phenomenon from what I'd referred to as the glob now because Frank you referenced I'm, I'm calling the middle class its starting pitcher the glob it's really more like the middle class has merged with the lower class like they exactly. to form one big glob when the glob in 2019 I think what you guys were calling the glob in 2019 was what I kept calling uh, the absence of a middle class during yes. during the juice ball era where there were just a bunch of studs at the top and then just and then garbage. everyone was the same yeah yeah i think that's so, exactly right 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 so now it's it's not like that anymore it's it's just there there there's just so much mush in in the middle of the starting pitching rankings now that's not as bad as what you call the glob in 2019 but it's not that good either it's just very large it's very yeah, good. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I've always chalked it up to parallel thinking, even when people were tweeting us and like, they're stealing it from you. I was like, there's <laughs> no way it's being stolen with any malicious intent. And uh, I was not interested in the in the high school drama that some people wanted to flare up. I was like, nah, we're chill with them. We hang out with Frank in uh, Arizona every every uh, every uh, yeah, fall. And we see Scott, you know, at uh, industry drafts and whatnot. There is no beef. So I'm glad to be on and talk about it. Um, it. For me, it was a way of just like not getting too hung up on rankings too, right? Like don't get freaked out over pitcher 38 versus pitcher 62. That feels like a big difference, but it's really yeah. not when you really break them down. But I just love pitcher 38 and I'm not as keen on pitcher 62. Scott might love 62 and hate 38. So he reverses them. And it was just trying to show those narrow margins, even though the ranking might be 20, 30, 40 picks different. The talent yeah. isn't that far. Well, I, I mean, from that perspective, what we're talking about with the glob is very similar. And, and as we get into breaking down my pitching rankings, you know, I'm, I'm comparing them to some early ADP results on NFBC. And it's like, wow, I'm a weirdo. But it, it's <laughs> like I, I am fixating so much on strikeouts this year uh, just because I think that's if you're going to if a pitcher's going to dis- distinguish himself from the glob that's going to be that's going to be his exit strategy from the glob yep. i feel like because you can't bank on wins either right like right. wins is another way they'll well, they'll differentiate themselves eventually but we don't always know where those are going to come from even era and whip like mm-hmm. i i i part of, part of what i notice what and maybe you guys can tell me if you've seen the same thing, but part of, part of what I noticed this past year, and I don't know exactly what the reason is behind it. Uh, if it, I assume the the combination of various rule changes and, and sticky substances, crack crackdowns, et cetera, has just created so much more volatility from start to start. I, I yes. feel like also there's kind of a snowball effect from the, the uh, shift ban and the, the, the new base running rules. There's so much more, so many more base runners, so much more activity on the base runners that when things start going bad for a pitcher, they just start, they just spiral out of control. And that's where you get these eight-run outings even for 
purportedly good pitchers. Yep, there were a lot more duds, and I think nobody uh, exemplifies that better than Spencer Strider last year. Still had brilliant skills. Every ER indicator said that he was a god, but he had, what, a 386 ERA or something to that effect. Obviously, he's way better than that, but homers were a problem. He seemed to take his foot off the pedal a little bit against weaker teams, too, but that's a little bit different than what we're talking about here. But I totally see the snowball effect that you were talking about, and nothing ruins an ERA quicker than homers. You start giving up homers, And if they're multi-run homers, your ERA is going to go up. Justin, as one of the uh, glob fathers here, is there anything else that you'd like to add just on like glob game theory or the state of starting pitching while we're up here at the top? I think it's uh, a good thing to remember that the the glob, just like the glob, the glob of pitchers always is moving, right? So year to year, it's going to start and end at a different uh, point. So, and I think this year it's a pretty interesting glob, right? Like there's a lot of guys in that, 27 to like 45 range that I really kind of enjoy and I like, and I I could see myself like picking from a lot of those kind of guys. Uh, But that, you know, in years past, it was like the glob was like, Ooh, gross. And this year uh, the glob is a little bit more enticing. Yeah. I don't think there's like a a similar theme among the glob. There's obviously lots of different names. There's some pitchers that, are quote-unquote innings eaters, maybe they're higher floor guys, you know, your Merrill Kellys, your Jose Barrios' types. But then you have guys that have high upside but come with injury risk, like a Carlos Rodon or maybe even like you Darvish as a bounce-back candidate if you think he could stay healthy. So there's all different kinds of shapes and sizes within the glob, and we'll get to those. Again, we're here with Paul Sporer and Justin Mason. If you don't know who they are, you probably live under a rock, but they do great work over at the Sleeper and the Bus podcast. You could find Paul's work over on Fangraphs. You could follow him on Twitter, X at Sporer, that's S-P-O-R-E-R, also uh, content designer for OOTP Baseball, and you can find Justin Mason everywhere, the owner of Friends with Fantasy Benefits, the creator of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. If you hear us talking about that industry-wide draft that comes around in February, Justin is the creator of said draft, I guess, Multiple drafts. TGFBI. Yes, TGFBI. is what across, we usually call it. Across the industry. Obviously, writer podcaster for Fangrass, writer for Fantasy Pros. Make sure you follow Twitter. Uh, follow Justin on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Let's quickly just start off with this news and get it out of the way because it was a pretty big one that came out uh, on Friday afternoon. Max Scherzer will be sidelined until June or July after undergoing surgery to repair a herniated disc in his back and apparently attempted several conservative treatments earlier in the offseason, but the pain persisted for him. We know it's kind of been an issue on and off from the past couple years, back, neck issues, Obviously had the innings limited this past season as well. Scott, you had Scherzer as your SP23. Obviously, he's going to drop down a lot in your rankings. Have you <laughs> thought about where he's going to slot in yet? How, fall he's, how far he's falling down those rankings? Why, yes, I have. I've moved him down my rankings. Uh, I have moved him to 75th in my rankings. Yeah. Which is behind Brandon Fott, Luis Severino, Kenta Maeda. So some guys with some upside. But, and ahead of guys like Michael Waka, Seth Lugo, Lance Lynn, ones who I perceive as not having so much upside. So he's kind of, as usually happens when, when somebody drops because of an injury, he, he kind of becomes a tier divider for me there. A little bit of... Uh, 24 spots ahead of Clayton Kershaw, who is also looking at a midseason return. So that's, I don't know, I guess I just have more confidence in Max Scherzer's going to be Max Scherzer when he gets back. 
But, you know, a big drop in the rankings, clearly. Before this news came out, the ADP on Scherzer was 130.6 over at the NFBC. There were three drafts over the weekend. The ADP has dropped to 243.3, so over 100 spots, which obviously I think makes sense. Paul, if the ADP settles there for Scherzer, again, a June-July expected return, does 243 sound like the right spot for Scherzer? Too late? What do you think? It's not awful uh i'm not paying it though you know in draft champions which is mostly what's being drafted right now that's 50 round draft and hold i can't take a guy that's guaranteed three months out minimum like you need every spot i know it feels like with 50 players i can i can be freewheeling and take an injury risk here and a couple prospects here you can take like three or four max on gambles like that max and i'm talking like prospects who are guaranteed not to be up until the summer or an injured player like this i don't take any of the injured players i take maybe a couple prospects but i need guys that can play and i'd rather take you know i'm trying to think of a, of a pitcher that i would never say that i'd be taking ahead of him at this point you know i'd rather take like jose quintana uh over him i'll take jack flaherty in detroit over max scherzer i'm not taking max scherzer um if he comes back and is awesome for the second half hat tip to whoever held on to him i i will be using that roster spot in uh in my leagues for the first three months to make up the value of whatever i think they might get so love max scherzer root root for him hope for the best no shot he's on any team for me in 24. and interestingly enough the rangers also signed tyler malley that came out thursday evening so before the scherzer news broke I had to imagine they had some kind of inclination Definitely. on Scherzer uh, and still managed to sign Tyler Malley, who is returning from Tommy John surgery. He had last uh, this May, this past May, likely to miss the entire first half. So the Rangers, the first half of the season, it looks like they'll try and survive with Nathan Avaldi, John Gray, Andrew Heaney, Dane Dunning, maybe some combination of like Owen White, Cole Wynn, Jack Leiter as their SP5. Maybe they go out and, you know, sign a smaller name, a smaller signing, whatever it might be to kind of just help them out in the first half of the season. But then in the second half, if they make it that far, you're looking at Jacob deGrom, Scherzer, and Tyler Malley potentially getting back. Justin, uh, I just thought it was interesting to add Tyler Malley to an already kind of injury-depleted rotation there in Texas. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like a little bonus pick. I think I, I can't imagine they're expecting much from him in 2024. I think that's more a matter of like, hey, Maybe it could be a nice little reclamation project for 2025. Maybe pitch out of the bullpen for us late in the year in 2024. Uh, but I'm I'm with Paul. Like all these guys are off my board. Like I just I'm not going to draft well, any of them. Let, like, let me see if I can con- contextualize this a little bit for the audience because um, let's say it's let's say it's a league with an I don't know you got three or four IL spots available okay. to you. Does that change the thinking? Not so much on Mali because I'm not I'm not sure we see him at all in 2024 personally, but I'm, I'm Max yeah. Scherzer, given the upside he has there. Three or four IL spots become pretty full pretty quickly, especially mm-hmm. with, you know, the one rule change we, we didn't mention at the top of the show is, you know, them lessening that pitch clock, right? And they're talking about even lessening a little bit more. And that it feels like it led to a lot more pitching injuries. And I just don't want to invite, especially in a league where I'm getting three IL spots, four IL spots. If we're playing a league like Tout Wars, uh, you know, uh, that has unlimited IL spots, sure, I'll throw the dart. Why not? Like, you know. I still wouldn't pay that price, though. I want the price to come down a bit more on Scherzer, closer to 300. You start to throw in some IL spots. I'm interested, 
more so, but it's still going to have to be a situation where, you know, I'd probably take a Luis Severino who has his own injury concerns over him. You know, okay. I, I just think I'm going to find a lot of other avenues that I'm going to prefer over Scherzer this year. And I'm just not going to take that risk. If I'm speaking to like the 12 team player, though, mm-hmm. where the draft ends, I mean, if it's head to head league, it ends around pick 250. If it's a if it's a roto league, if he's your last go- pick. Yeah, and you got four IL spots. Yeah, I'm that, not gonna. That, I'm not gonna clown anybody point. for that. That's, that that's your gamble. I might have my own gamble. He's also old too, so I'm a little bit nervous about what he gets. But as far as the concept of taking a last pick in four something IL spots on mm-hmm. a pitcher who's been an ace, I can get behind that. Just getting back to the idea of the glob, like I am looking for pitchers who can distinguish them, who could who could actually be impactful. And, and, and so. Right, exactly. Scherzer can. I understand if you don't have IL spots available in the league, that's a long time to use up a bench spot, and I mm-hmm. probably wouldn't invest in Scherzer there either. But if you do, uh, I, I think I'd like to have him around for the second half if, if it doesn't cost me much of anything. All right, I think that, that I makes would sense. rather have DeGrom. And this is coming from a person who does not draft Tommy John returnees. One, DeGrom's upside through the roof, right? We also know that when guys come back from Tommy John, they're usually ready to go once they're back, right? Like they may not have the same command and control uh, initially, but they they can throw. We know like there's a pretty good success rate on Tommy John uh, reconstruction surgery. We have no idea how bad this back issue is. And backs are scary to begin with. I think there's a good chance like Scherzer isn't the same, even if he does come back. And there's obviously the chance he doesn't come back. So I think if I'm going to take that strategy, give me the top tier upside of Jacob deGrom over a guy like Max Scherzer. All right. Well, let's get into uh, Scott's early starting pitcher rankings part two. Again, we spoke about the top 25 last week. We'll try and get through 25 more today. We are kind of cheating because I think where we're picking this back up, SP26 is Jesus Lazardo. Correct me, Scott, but I don't think Lazardo is technically in the glob yet. Maybe like once we get to that point in the rankings, you can kind of distinguish it. But Lazardo, well, Lazardo feels he, like he's ahead of the glob. You know how it is with globs. They they <laughs> they, they they take the the form of their container, right? They they don't have a, a distinct shape, so they're malleable. I am I am inconclusive on where the glob begins exactly. It's it's. I, I've made the I, I've made the case before that I want to draft what ideally, obviously, four of my top twenty-five, which may be hard to do in those fifteen teamers. But that's that's ideally what I'm looking to do. So I guess I'm saying Luzardo is is not has not receded into the glob, but he was pretty volatile in uh, 2023. He was pr- subject to the whims of the glob. I think mainly why I distinguish him is for that strikeout upside, which is consider massive i think the essence of a glob is that you kind of decide where it begins right like that's the whole point is to take a little bit more uh agency over what where you want your guys to go get them within the glob other people might take the other round and say well it's a glob of similarness i'm going to of similarity i'm gonna wait for it to give me something i attack with the glob okay i see 38 guys that look the same well let me get the four that i really like even if that's pulling one up from sp70 into sp50 because that's where i want him and I don't want anybody to take him out from under me. So I attack when I'm in a glob situation. So yeah, you can kind of decide where it begins. For some, Lazardo's risk might be too much that he's recessed into the glob. For Scott, he's right at the top, maybe the king of the glob. Um, so I think that's kind of the the whole 
concept uh, in a nutshell there is that you get to kind of decide where where it goes and how you approach it. Let me put some numbers here on Lazardo. He finally managed to stay healthy healthy this past season. 358 ERA, 121 whip. Kind of felt like he was you know, wearing down in the second half. I know the control kind of escaped him in that second half and uh, did throw a career high in innings with 178 and two-thirds. So perhaps, again, there was a, a factor of that later on in the year. Justin, something that Scott and I spoke about recently, I think we were talking about Jorge Soler, where last year I profited so much on Soler that I don't want to pay the increased price. I kind of feel the same way on Lazardo that I was in on Lazardo last year when his ADP was around 150. Now he's up around 90. So you do have to pay kind of that premium inside the top 100. What do you think about his price tag and just kind of that mindset of, all right, well, I profited last year. Do I want to pay the higher price again this season? I totally understand people who go look at that strikeout upside. Like he, you know, and the overall line like wasn't bad, right? Like the overall line was actually kind of fine. Plus you get those strikeouts when I'm drafting a starting pitcher within the top 100 picks, I'm typically looking for my safest floor. Like I want a guy that obviously any pitcher can get hurt anytime. doesn't matter, but injury aside, um, I want a guy that I'd feel really, really confident about. Like the skills are going to stay consistent, um, that they're not coming in with a pre-existing injury. And I just worry about Lazardo being able to repeat the mechanics, not blow up, not give up home runs. You look at what he did from August on, get a 4.53 ERA, a 1.30 whip. Still got a lot of strikeouts. The strikeouts were great. But like there are seven earned run outings, and six earned run outings, and I just hate that, especially if you play in like a, any sort of head-to-head format. He's one of those guys that can win you or lose you a week, and those are the kind of guys I tend to stay away from. Lazardo, again, Scott's SP26 in the rankings. 27 and 28, by the way, are Zach Eflin and Logan Gilbert. We spoke about them on last Tuesday's podcast as part of our starting pitcher recap. Uh, obviously, they just had fine seasons. If you want, you can go back and listen to that. Let's take our first break. When we return, we're going to get into a really, really fun group of young starting pitchers, which includes Yuri Perez, Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, Tanner Bybee, who's, for some, the ADP much higher than where Scott has them ranked. So we'll talk about that right after this. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back in. Let's jump into the rest of Scott's rankings and SP29 through 32. We have Yuri Perez, Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, and Tanner Bybee. Now, the ADP on these guys is very interesting because Yuri Perez currently the SP19 off the board. Grayson Rodriguez the SP20, so much higher than where Scott has them ranked. I think people are maybe willing to take on that risk for very high upside pitchers. Bobby Miller, the SP23 off the board. And then Tanner Bybee, you got to drop down a little bit. He's currently the 33rd starting pitcher off the board, so kind of find that interesting that he's not kind of lumped in with this group. Maybe just doesn't have that same perceived upside as some of these names. Paul, we'll start with you. Who is your favorite from this group? Yuri Perez, Bobby Miller, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, and Tanner Bobby. It's definitely Bobby Miller for me. I, I see true full-on ace upside that uh, while it might not fully develop this year, I'm willing to take that shot that it does and then just kind of, you know, see see where he goes. I think he's kind of their next Walker Bueller. Obviously, let's hope he doesn't get hurt like Bueller, although he probably will because kind of every pitcher does. But I, I really do love Bobby Miller. Let's just hope it doesn't get he doesn't get hurt this year. Pick 75 is obviously expensive, but he has everything uh and so i think as a potential frontliner he's the guy i want he's on a great team as well so is grayson rodriguez uh and yuri perez is on a decent team bobby's on a decent team but obviously miller's on the best of the bunch and while we can't predict wins you still know that the best chance at them is going to be on the best team so i like bobby miller quite a bit and i'm willing to pay the premium yeah when i started diving into bobby miller there was just so much to like about him he got better in the second half and it kind of changed with a, a pitch mix change that he had where he uh, dropped the slider usage and raised the curveball. I mean, the curveball and the changeup look like they are like potential elite pitches for him. Obviously throws extremely hard. Uh, Bobby Miller fifth in stuff plus, according to uh, Eno Saris's metric there. So I, I do agree, man. There is lots to like about Bobby Miller. Scott, does it surprise you that the market is so much higher on Guys like Yuri Perez, again, he's SP19 and ADP. Grayson Rodriguez, SP20. I know that some people want that upside, but, you know, there's still a lot of people like Justin who values that floor. And if we're being honest, Yuri Perez and Grayson Rodriguez might not have that floor. Well, and and selling out for upside at starting pitchers, it's kind of my whole thing this year. So that the the market could be higher on Yuri Perez than I am. It, it kind of makes me wonder who they're overlooking uh, um, yeah i mean I'd, I'd, I'd have to sit down with it and figure it out maybe joe musgrove because he's coming back from a shoulder injury but that's just one that's not uh that's not all the names that you know yuri perez is ahead of in the adp i do so it, it's more Grayson Rodriguez, I guess, that surprises me. He's going that early because Yuri Perez, you, you at least see the big strikeout upside. Well, Grayson Rodriguez you know, definitely looked a lot better when he came back from the minors, but a lot of it had to do with strike throwing. And it's, it's, it's not like the, the whiff rate was better. The whiff rate showed the potential for him to become a strikeout pitcher, but he wasn't actually getting a lot of strikeouts. And that's why I have Bobby Miller ahead of Grayson Rodriguez. So I have Yuri Perez of this group of four sophomores. I have Yuri Perez, number one, because I see clearly the biggest strikeout potential there. But I also favor Miller over Rodriguez, at least, because of 
I, I don't think there, I, between the two, I don't think there is a clear standout in terms of strikeout upside. And Miller, that last month of the season, he was going six, seven innings with consistency. He had a 14% swinging strike rate in the final month. So that, I mean, that's elite. He has that's the five-pitch arsenal, a guy who throws that hard. You know, you, I kind of expected Bobby Miller to, to be somebody who comes up and is throwing his fastball 60% of the time at first because that's just what young kids who throw hard tend to do. But he was mixing in this five-pitch arsenal, and you really saw him take off in September. So I'm with, I'm with Paul at least on the idea that Bobby Miller – I prefer him to Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, but Yuri Perez, I think if you are going to distinguish one from this quartet, I, I think he would be the one to do because of the strikeout upside. I'm probably going to have those two close to back-to-back, Miller and Perez. So I, I want to co-sign the, the Yuri love. I think maybe the team context is going to be the little bit of a tiebreaker there because I do believe that Bobby Miller can get into the strikeouts to where he's pushing a 30% rate a la Perez, who had a 29% mark in his 91 innings. But yeah, I do believe that they are the class of that quartet there. And um, I do think Bobby's interesting as kind of the cheaper one, but I'll let Justin jump in here on his thoughts at the top end there. I just, I just want to get in real quick. Yuri Perez's swinging strike rate. You know, I gave Bobby Miller in September 14%. Yuri Perez, his whole time in the majors, 15.7%. That's disgusting. <laughs> he, he was 19, 20 last year. Yeah. Or 20, yeah. excuse me, 20, 20 all year. But still, age 20 season, that's bananas. Yeah. The guy isn't even legal to drink until April, so think about <laughs> no. that on Yuri Perez. Uh, Justin, your favorite from this group, and, and maybe why Tanner Bybee is, is so much lower than the, the rest of these guys. I think people look at Bybee as a guy that doesn't have the upside of these other guys, right? Like Bybee's not going to turn into an SP one this year. Uh, he's not going to have like, this is like the McClanahan tier from a few years ago, right? Where like, you know, I think it was like McClanahan, Manoa and all these guys were going just around pick 100 and then guys just jumped up, right? Had these massive breakouts and they were Trevor SP1. Rogers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think people are looking at this group of like, oh, some of these group, some some of the guys in this group are going to be league winners. Who are they? And no one's going to pick Bybee because he doesn't have the strikeout rate that these other guys have. He's not on a team that I think is going to be extremely competitive. I think they're going, you know, they'll be competitive, but they're not going to be like a powerhouse team in the way that we definitely see the Dodgers uh, as, and we could see maybe like the Orioles uh, potentially as, you know, coming off of the season they just had. Uh, But again, we go back to what I said earlier. Like, I think, well, I love all four of these guys. I would draft all four of these guys. No problem. The guy that's going to end up on more of my teams than not uh, and already has, as I have three drafts in the books, and I believe I have Tanner Bybee already on two of them, is Bybee. Like, he he does everything you want. I think he's the most polished of all four of these guys. Uh, he's got a full arsenal. Uh, he doesn't walk guys. He doesn't give up home runs. He's on a team that is going to win games. Maybe not as many as the Dodgers. Maybe he's not as many as the Orioles. But the Guardians are going to win games in the Central because the Central's awful. So uh, Bybee's the guy that I'm going to end up with the most. I agree with Scott and Paul that if all things being equal, I really, really love Bobby Miller. Um, I do see a big step. I also love Yuri Perez. Like I think, you know, and Yuri Perez and Bobby Miller both ended up on teams for me. I have no problem. This is like a little mini glob. I have no problem drafting two or three of these guys if I can. 
Yeah, they're so enticing, too. I know, Justin, we were in one Gladiator draft together already, and mm -hmm. I took Yuri Perez as my SP2. You took Bobby Miller, I think, is your SP3 in that draft. Mm -hmm. So we both wound up with a share of these young guys, and obviously lots to like there. This next trio from 33 through 35, maybe this is where you start to see it like that traditional glob that, we were, we, that we've talked so much about. Definitely. Because 33 starts with Merrill Kelly for Scott, followed by Mitch Keller and Justin Verlander. And... Specifically with this trio, it doesn't really feel like any of these three are ones that I'm going to target, but it's more so a group that like if they fall past ADP by like 20 spots, maybe I'll start to consider them. Uh, Paul, is there anyone here that kind of stands out to you? Are they a, a target for you? Or, or is it that, again, just try and wait for them to fall to you to the right spot? Merrill Kelly, Mitch Keller, Justin Verlander. I mean, I'll probably take JV. At 117, he's like my favorite pitcher ever. And he's still good too, right? I'm not going to let homerism make me make bad picks, or at least I don't think they're bad. Uh, and so I, I do still believe in him. I think he's you know kind of a unicorn with how good he's been at this age. Of course, he still did get hurt, right? Like he got hurt a couple of years ago, so it's not like he never gets hurt or anything. But I still believe in Verlander's skills for sure. I think Keller has started to show some interesting improvements, and maybe we could see another step from him this year, but I won't seek him out. And Merrill Kelly, I respect what he did. And I like this player type. I find it undervalued in the market. So I'm not afraid of it when everyone else is going for the flashy thing. I think sometimes getting kind of the steady Eddie boring guy to supplement your Bobby Miller gamble and your, your Yuri Perez gamble insofar as they are gambles. Um, I think it's nice, but of those three, it's really going to be Verlander primarily for me. And then I might fall into Kelly or, or Keller in the position that you mentioned where they fall past ADP and I say, you know what? Now's a good spot, but I'm probably not going to attack them at ADP like I would Verlander around uh, the 115, 120 range. This is a really interesting group because you've got Merrill Kelly here who transcended the glob last year. I mean, Merrill Kelly was as consistent as they come. He obviously didn't have a track record of that. I mean, he was pretty good in 2022, but he, the fact he got even better in 2023, I don't think anybody saw it coming. Um, he's going to be 35 this upcoming year as Merrill Kelly. And he drastically outperformed both his expected ERA and FIP. The expected ERA was 413, the FIP 385. So I think people for the second straight year are factoring in a lot of regression for Merrill Kelly at a time when, you know, who, who can you trust to have less than a, let's look at his FIP, a 385 ERA. Who, who can you trust to have less than that? So I, I'm not, like if I don't have four starting pitchers at this point, and certainly in those deeper leagues, that's going to be a lot. I'm totally fine with taking Merrill Kelly. And I'm, I'm also fine with taking Mitch Keller, who I think is, their names are so similar, right? Merrill Kelly and Mitch Keller. And yet I think what happened to them in 2023 couldn't have been any more different where Merrill Kelly was as steady as they come. But it, the, the underlying numbers never really justified it. While Mitch Keller he might have been the biggest victim of the snowball effect that we saw with pitchers this past year. It's between him and Aaron Nola, where if you look at Mitch Keller's good starts and you look at his bad starts, two-thirds of the time he looks like an ace, but then he has these disastrous starts that leaves him with a 421 ERA. If you take out Mitch Keller's four worst starts from 2023, his ERA drops from 421 to 313. And I find things like that very valuable. I call it game logging, like getting in there. Like you can't take them away. We right. know that. But I think it really underscores 
what they could be if they can clean up those bomb out starts. And you talked about it at the outset about how that hit a lot of guys this year. And I bet there's a good handful of guys that if you could take out two to five starts, it would really change their outlook. And I know you can do that for a lot of guys, but, and again, it's not to say that they don't count, but it's to underscore that like, Hey, Keller's probably a tweak from becoming a dude. Well, I I mean, look at the midway point, Mitch Keller was arguably the most valuable pitcher in fantasy. So like there, there was a case to be made. He was already there. And then he got hit with, uh, in the second half, four starts with seven earned runs or more. Those are the four starts I'm removing to get that ERA down to, to, 313. But my mm-hmm. but my point is yes, that his good starts, Mitch Keller's good starts are the kind of starts that are only accessible to true aces. All six of his starts in May, he had eight strikeouts or more. All six Jeez. of them. He had That's incredible. A bunch of seven inning starts. Uh let's see. How many did he have? How many seven inning starts with two hits or fewer did he have? Two. Yeah, he had, three, three. He had Mitch Keller had three starts with seven innings or more and two hits or fewer. And they weren't, they didn't necessarily coincide with the big strikeout starts he had. So he had a lot of like ace caliber starts, did Mitch Keller. And but then he had those disasters that that made the final line look kind of meh. I, I think he's great here. Like, is your fourth starting pitcher? Like I said, I don't know exactly where the glob begins for me, but I I kind of I'm, I'm kind of liking some of these pit, the the pitchers in this range. I think they're very close to running out, but I'm I'm okay with both Merrill Kelly and Mitch Keller here. And you're ahead of market on both of them too. So my guess is if things kind of stay this way, Scott, you will wind up with a lot of those two pitchers because Merrill Kelly, mm-hmm. your SP thirty three, and he's the forty second starting pitcher off the board right now. So again, you're ahead there and. Mitch Keller, your SP34, and he's the 43rd starting pitcher. So uh, quite a bit ahead on both of those names. Justin, I'll give you the the first word on this next group here because I want to keep things moving. There's so many names to get to. Uh, 36 through 40 in Scott's rankings. Dylan Cease, Gavin Williams, Chris Sale, Michael King, and Joe Ryan. I want to start right there at the top because Dylan Cease, number 36, Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And that was basically his entire 2023 followed up a, a huge breakout season with a 458 ERA and a 142 whip. Obviously the strikeouts were still massive 214 strikeouts, all but a certainty to be traded this off season. It feels like Dylan Cease. We've already heard his name rumored, uh, but things went incredibly wrong. I mean, the walks were up. They already were a problem. The strikeout rate was down. The swinging strike rate was down. The hard contact was way up once again. Uh, Justin, what do you think about the early price tag here on Dylan Cease? He's the SP31 off the board, Scott's 36th ranked starting pitcher. I just can't do it. Like, and I mean, I've been out on Dylan Cease for quite a while, uh, just the volatility. Um, and I, I think there were a lot of people who drafted Dylan Cease last year that were doing some early April victory laps and then uh, pulled up lame. Uh, about they a probably month learned from season. you on that. Yeah, exactly. Well, April is when you should do your victory laps. Uh, and don't you forget that, but, uh, it's just like, he's just so volatile. And I mean, maybe if he ends up in a really good pitcher's park, if he ended up in like Baltimore, uh, you know, maybe if he ends up with the Dodgers, cause the Dodgers just seem to know how to fix every single starting pitcher, I will feel a little bit better about drafting him, but I it just, it's too much volatility for where he goes. And I just, I'm not a big fan of drafting that volatility early on. And I just, I think that is part of who he is. I think he is electric when he's on, and when he's not on, the ball is going all over the place. 
uh, in terms of missing the plate or over the fence. Can you imagine if the Braves wind up with Dylan Cease? I mean, between him and Strider's mustache, I mean, <laughs> they would pretty That's, much they would have to sign Paul Sporer, right? At, like, I mean, mm-hmm. at that point, I, be, I become a super fan at that point. <laughs> I start putting Rogaine on my face to try to make my mustache thicker so I can compete with them. Uh, I'm already a sh- huge Strider and Cease fan too, so I, I, I'd be in because I, I disagree with Justin. I, I I'm buying on on Cease. I know you didn't ask me, but like. For me, he's that guy that I'm always going to buy at the low end, right? Like um, Tyler O'Neill is kind of like this as far as a hitter goes. Couldn't pay me to draft him after the breakout year just because of his history, the ups and downs, his injury volatility, his skills volatility. I'm always going to buy on the downswing with Cease. I tried to jump the mark a little bit, uh, hoping that the Dodgers were going to get him, and they signed... um, well, they signed Shohei, which obviously doesn't preclude them from getting Cease because of pitching. But I was nervous that like, okay, are they still going to go out and make a big deal here? Oh, no, that was a glass now trade. That would make more sense of why that bothered me. Like literally the minute after I drafted Cease, they announced the glass now trade. They could still get him, though. And if Atlanta does anywhere, Cease has to be traded. I think he is the right pitching coach away from just becoming an ace, too. Yes, he has volatility currently. I don't think he has to live in that up-down world. I think the right guy can fix him and turn him into an absolute stud the way we saw in 2022, but more on a permanent basis, especially if the walks can be uh, quelled a little bit. Uh, I I like Cease because of the cost. I I think, you know, last year he was being drafted, what, top 10, top 12 overall? Yeah, yeah. Now, he, he, this is, I think this is the border of the glob for me, actually. So we get past Merrill Kelly, Mitch Keller, uh, Justin Verlander, and then Dylan Cease. I think Dylan Cease is the last pitcher who I realistically see a high-end outcome for. And it, it's not that hard to see it. I mean, he was amazing in, in 2022, AL Cy Young runner-up. Mm-hmm. But even if that doesn't happen, so like we talked about the volatility of Mitch Keller, who I rank a little ahead of Cease, also volatile. Cease's volatility, I think, is a little more ingrained because of that. There's a clear skill issue there with the walks. Even even as good as he was in 2022, that was an issue. I don't think that's going away with Cease. But on the other hand, as yucky as his 2023 was, he had 214 strikeouts. And so that forgives the, the, a, a lot of sins for me, strikeouts. And, and I, I kind of talked about this already, and, and maybe I'll just kind of give you guys the, the whole broad picture of what I'm looking to do at starting pitcher in, in uh, 2024. Um, and I don't think I'm like breaking news or anything, but I'm, I'm just trying to be more disciplined about the approach of, okay, at a time when pitching is unpredictable, not just year to year, but start to start because of that snowball effect we talked about, and I'm not sure where anybody's ERA is going to end up really. The one thing I feel like I can bank on is strikeouts. If I focus on strikeouts above all else, I will do well in that category unless I just get smashed with injuries, which is always a possibility. But but performance-wise, I should dominate strikeouts if I sell out for strikeouts. And it's very likely just by virtue of drafting a bunch of bat missers in an environment where base runners are bad news that they'll end up with the good ERA and whip anyway, as we've seen from Dylan Cease in the past. So I'm, I'm kind of counting strikeouts double when I'm assessing things for, I haven't come up with an exact formula or anything, but I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing strikeouts so much over everything else that somebody like Cease, who yes, I see the flaws in him, but you can just, you can write, you can pencil them in for 200 plus strikeouts. And, and that 
in this price range feels great to me. The other name I wanted that to makes a ton of sense. Sorry, go ahead. All good. The other name I wanted to highlight here quickly was uh, Joe Ryan, who Scott has at SP forty, and the early ADP is SP twenty six off the board. So this is actually one of the pitchers, and especially within the top forty, when you see this big of a disparity, you're like, okay, someone's either going to be really right or really wrong on Joe Ryan, uh, and he just finished the year. 451 ERA, 117 whip. We know the K to walk ratio is amazing, 24.3%. That was second best to only Spencer Strider. The swinging strike rate, seventh best among starting pitchers with at least 160 innings. Justin, I'll throw this one your way. The problem for me with Joe Ryan, as great as the strikeouts, the K minus walk rate, there is a clear issue here with home runs. And there has been consistently. He allows a lot of fly balls, 1.78 home runs per nine this past season. And there have been kind of like whispers about hitters starting to figure out this rising fastball and kind of getting underneath it. And we saw something similar happen with Christian Javier, which we'll get to in just a little bit. I can't do it. I'm not going to do the Joe Ryan thing. Like if I'm going to take a shot on a guy on the twin staff who gives up a lot of fly balls, I'll just take like Bailey over like 75 picks later or something like that. Uh, But what do you what do you think about Joe Ryan here? Pretty big disparity between Scott's ranking and the early ADP. Yeah, I think he's going too high. Um, I see like where Ryan could like completely turn things around and, uh, and become the elite pitcher that I think a lot of people, including, I think my co-host Paul Spores thought he might turn into, uh, mm-hmm. at some point, but you're talking about a guy that in the second half had a 2.63 Homer per nine. Oof. That is outrageous. Like that is like, un that just unreal amount of long balls give it up that I just like he hasn't changed anything to give me some sort of inclination that things are going to get better for him if anything things have gotten worse in spite of the fact that he he doesn't walk anybody so like when he gives up a home run it's a solo shot so I mean I appreciate that at least but wait are you talking about your long time obsession Lance Lynn because I can hardly tell the difference Based on the uh, based you. on the description the here, is, the I was just about, the I was about <laughs> I mean, to concede you know. that it's a much cheaper thing. But yeah, it, I mean, if it, I'm playing it, in a league where I get points for home runs given up by the pitcher, like I will wait <laughs> 200 picks and go get Lance Lynn. Yeah, honestly, I think Frank crushed it though with Omer, who I also love. I do, I do love Joe Ryan. I've been a fan. I feel like I've kind of made good on him though. You know, we've been talking about like. You got a guy cheap. Do you want to pay up for him? I was huge on Joe Ryan in 2022. I think I cashed pretty hard on that. Uh, Stuck with him last year, but not nearly as many leagues with the price going up. And it was an okay season, at least for the first half. That second half when the home runs were really crushing him. I mean, it was against good teams, but you can only do so much to to give him a break there, right? We were talking about game logging earlier. And I see that he gave up five homers at Atlanta, four at St. Louis, three at Colorado, and two at Houston that led to uh, five plus earned in all four of those. Yeah, you could remove those and tell me the ERA, but I don't think they're going away. The thing with the Mitch Keller piece that we were talking about, it's like, I can map out a scenario where the, where his uh, issues are going to be fixed and he can get rid of those blow-up starts. I think they're just part of Joe Ryan's arsenal. I mean, he had a five-home run outing in San Diego in 2022, that the great season that he did have. He just avoided too many more of them, and that's why he was able to have a good season. Home run guys, man, they rarely, 
rarely fix that. When they're at that level that he's at, they rarely turn that into a strength or even a neutral thing. I think they're just always going to be part of his game. So his whip is going to be really important because if they're multi-run homers, then Joe Ryan's in big trouble. So I, I, I root for him, but I'm not going to really have much of him this year. Give me the Ober uh, pick much, much cheaper. I do want to bring up one point about Joe Ryan that I don't think we've brought up yet. Uh, because, yes, there was that surge in home runs in the second half. But remember, he had a groin injury that he was pitching through. That's right. That mm-hmm. prevented him from finishing his delivery. Now, when he came back from that groin injury at the end of August, he ended up making seven more starts. Five of the seven were good. So the ERA ended, during that seven-start stretch ended up in the high fours because there were a couple starts where he got knocked around. But uh, the seven starts, five innings, one and run, seven strikeouts. Six innings, one and run, seven strikeouts. Four innings, two and runs, three strikeouts. Four inning, four and two-thirds innings, two inning, two and runs, seven strikeouts. Uh, and then his second-to-last start, he had six innings, three and runs, ten strikeouts. So, you know, six innings, three runs, that's a 450 ERA, but is that a bad start? Six innings, ten strikeouts? I would say no. not. And then that last start was in Colorado. You could have feasibly skipped that, depending on where you were and how you True. were managing your roster on September 29th. Maybe you said, don't and, give me Joe Ryan in Colorado. And that was three of the six home runs he gave up in those last seven starts. Yeah. But that's a good am, that's a good call out though. I, I am also persuaded by the Eno Saris narrative of the rising fastball beginning to lose his effectiveness. And that's Joe Ryan's whole trick. So there's some competing mm-hmm. narratives there that I guess is why I have Joe I've put Joe Ryan on the wrong side of the the glob line for me. He is in the glob, but he's high in the glob because uh, I do at least see the strikeout potential. And um uh, you know, if, it, if, if his struggles were more because of that groin injury than the effect of the league catching up to the high fastball, he might turn out to be pretty good. Scott just pulled off the rare devil's advocate and then devil's advocate to the devil's advocate. <laughs> I love doing that one. That's a classic move where you come up with a point, then you shoot your own point down real quick. That way nobody else can do it. Right. That's right. Cover all the bases. Let's take our final break. And then when we would return, we'll talk about 10 more pitchers. We've got some other news items to talk about. We'll do that here on fantasy baseball today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back in. And of course, when I say we're going to talk about 10 pitchers, that means I'm going to mention 10 pitchers and we'll probably talk about like two or three of them. So uh, 41 through 45 in Scott's rankings, we see Christian Javier followed by Hunter Green, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, and Chris Bassett. I I think very clearly Sonny Gray, Montgomery, and Bassett, they're in a different conversation from those first two. I mean, they're like oh. your higher floor type pitcher, you know, maybe your innings eater type. Maybe I'm downplaying Sonny Gray a little bit. He was really good this past season. But 
But it was such home run prevention, though. Yeah. It's just not repeatable. His home run to fly ball rate. My young was... runner up, Sonny Gray. And yeah. I'm yawning. Wait, wait. You're saying it's not repeatable, but he's going to a fantastic park for home runs. Like for me, like Sonny Gray, like is a great guy to yeah. draft as long as I think he's going to be healthy. And the problem with Sonny Gray is I see that slight frame, I see those mechanics, and I worry that at some point the like his leg and arm fall off at the same time while he's in his motion. Um, but that being said, like I think he's going to be fine in St. Louis. That, that will got, help. That will help. But it was extreme home run suppression. Sure. He, he actually led the majors in fit, which speaks to that home run suppression because, you know, Sonny Gray is not normally a guy who leads the majors in fit. Yeah. Um, also, on the health point, that he exceeded 180 innings this past season. It was the first time he reached that since 2015. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. Problem yeah. for Sonny. I did want to focus on Christian Javier and Hunter Green from this group because it feels similar in that there is a massive range of outcomes for both of those two pitchers. I mean, if you just look at Christian Javier's past two seasons, the writing is on the wall there, right? He had a breakout 2022. He gets the five-year extension, comes out this season, finishes with a 456 ERA and a 127 whip. Essentially a two-pitch pitcher whose fastball regressed this past season. And there's a really interesting article written by excuse me if I mess up your name, Jake Mailhot. It's actually on Fangrass, and it shows the velocity, the vertical break, and the stuff plus on Christian Javier's fastball was down basically all season until he got to the postseason, where that fastball just kind of came back and it was awesome again. Which fastball are we, we going to get next year? I'm not entirely sure with Christian Javier. And then Hunter Green, we see that the, the upside is tantalizing. Swinging strike rates, gaudy strikeout numbers, but A, can he stay healthy? And B, his skill set, he's a fly ball pitcher who allows a lot of hard contact in the worst ballpark in baseball to do that in, in Cincinnati. So, uh, Justin, Christian Javier, Hunter Green, massive ranges of outcomes on both of these guys. My guess is, based on everything you've said today, you probably won't have either of those two. I really want to draft Javier again because I was like early in on his breakout. I faded him last year because of the price. But like he's kind of like one of those guys that I liked, you know, early on in his career. The problem is I don't know what Christian Javier is. Like I just don't. I think like it is like you were saying, like, it's such a wide range of outcomes. And I like to have some idea of what I'm getting into. And I just like if he is a top 15 starter this year, I'm not going to be surprised. And if he's not even a top 100 starter this year, I'm not going to be surprised. And like that is so hard when you are like at the draft table or auction table and you were filling out, okay, I have these many strikeouts at this point, I have this many wins. This is what my ERA and whip looks like. And you introduce a wild card like Christian Javier. It kind of gives you a hard time of figuring out how you're going to finish out your draft or auction. Um, and how, those are the guys I tend to avoid. And I also feel like we are not getting the discount that we deserve after the year of Christian Javier. Like I feel like, we should be seeing him outside the top 200 picks. We're not. And there's guys going around there that are really intriguing to me. The aforementioned Bailey Ober, like going right there. Carlos Rodon, if he's healthy, I'll take Carlos Rodon. Like uh, I'm probably staying away from Javier, but there is a part of me. I will draft him somewhere just so I have him on a team. But I also, you know, unlike normal people draft like, 18, 19 teams. So <laughs> he's, he's not joking folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Christian Javier, the ADP, by the way, 166.4 as the 44th starting pitcher off the board. Justin, you did mention the name 
Carlos Rodon there, which brings us to the final group that we'll mention today. 46 through 50, Jose Barrios, Shane Bieber, Carlos Rodon, you Darvish, and Nathan Avaldi. Again, these are Scott's rankings. This is not ADP right now. I can mention the ADP for some of them. But it's, it'll, it'll it'll probably there there's probably going to be more disparity when the, within this group. This this is where my rankings start to get weird. Start to branch out. Yeah. And I should make the point because I think you you Justin and 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 Paul generally speak to the 15 team audience. My rankings are geared for a 12 team league and and that that I, distinction matters. I, I Just like you were saying ever. with the Scherzer thing, if, you know, you, you take different chances. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm selling out for upside more than ever, mm-hmm. and yep. so that's reflected in my rankings. But the deeper the league you go in, the less of a waiver wire you have access to during the year, and so you can't afford to take as the the chances you take can't afford to be as big. And so, like particularly that Sunny Gray, Jordan Montgomery. I forget who the third one was. That group, the safish starters, but still globby. Yeah, Chris Bassett was the other one. I, I understand they seem low in my rankings, and I understand upside types like Hunter Green see, seem high in my rankings, and I might have to adjust that for a deeper league scenario. But in a 12-team league where I do have access to the waiver wire, where I can grab any globby pitcher I need when I need him, I, mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. No, I think that's a great call out. And yes, we do mostly talk about 15 teams, but we do like to point out that make sure you're going to go for some of that upside in 10s and 12s. You can be riskier with it because you're going to find capable waiver picks and you're trying to spike that gem because that's the, that's the whole thing with 10s and 12s. They present their own difficult challenges. You know, everyone thinks the deeper the league, the, the more difficult and better. No, there's mm-hmm. plenty of challenges in shallow leagues because there's so much talent on the wire you need talent that sets you apart so i agree with shoot trying to shoot the moon with like a javier or a green over a boring bassett or even a boring sunny gray type so that's a great uh, distinction there between talking about the two different types sp 47 48 and 49 i mentioned were bieber rodan and darvish and just thinking about it, I, I kind of want to dub this group like the Redeem team because I think there's I, all I a that chance name. that they can <laughs> bounce back right and we've seen huge upside from all of these pitchers in the past Shane Bieber, maybe a little bit tougher because like the way that he's trending down is so much more obvious than some of the other names. And obviously coming off a season where he's injured with a strained right forearm, seems pretty likely to be traded this offseason. So we'll find out where he winds up. Carlos Rodon, just a complete disaster his first year with the Yankees. I, I just don't think he was ever fully healthy. Started the season on the IL with a strained left forearm that turned into a back injury. He had to get injections. He missed time uh, once he returned with a uh, left hamstring strain as well. Uh, and Darvish, it kind of feels like Darvish is is kind of like, uh, who, was, who was the player we mentioned earlier, like buying on the cheap whenever they're Dylan Cease? Cease. So, yeah, Darvish kind of feels like whenever he's on the cheap, that's when you just kind of like swoop in and, and hope that you could profit off of that. Uh, Paul, do you find yourself going in on any of these names here? The Redeem team, Darvish, Rodon, and Shane Bieber. Yeah, first off, I love I love the Redeem team moniker there. You know, I've been a Bieber guy, but I, I am souring a little bit, which is interesting since the price is lowering. Um, I do still really like that he can he can miss bats at a decent clip, but his health profile is is really problematic and you mentioned that he could easily be traded we'd certainly have to see where he lands and if that's going to change his outlook and i don't like the the three four point dip in uh swinging strike rate last year that really undercut his case you know at least in 2022 um you know 
not everyone loved him and they were still sketchy of him, even though he put up a 288, 104, because he had the 25% K rate and the 14% swinging strike. I thought the Ks were going to come back. They didn't. I know you asked if I'm going for anybody. I've kind of eliminated Bieber from as a, a one-time big fan of him. I'm looking more at Rodon because I agree with you. I think it's an injury washout that I'm willing to give him a full pass on. And now the price is a lot more reasonable. Everyone else is like, okay, we got to settle down after those two good years from Rodon and bring the price down to something a bit more reasonable, 160. He lives in a tight range, at least over the last uh, handful of drafts at the NFBC, 145 to 168 in the last five drafts over there. So, you know, he kind of goes where he goes and you got to be ready to take him. But somewhere in the ninth, 10th, 11th round, which is where those are in the NFBC 15 teamers, I will take Carlos Rodon and see if I can get that shot. Because I know with him, if he's healthy, he's a stud. Uh, it's just a matter of health. And I say just, obviously that's been a big, big, big issue with Rodon, but I'll take the gamble down there. Yeah, with Rodon, by the way, from 21 to 22, he made 55 starts. 267 ERA, a 1.0 whip on the nose. Filthy. 242 FIP, 288 Sierra, 12.2K per nine, uh, 14.5% swinging strike rate. He had the third highest war among pitchers during that time, and he only threw like 275 innings or something crazy like that. So he was obviously just amazing during that time. Uh, Scott, obviously these are your rankings, so I, whoever's ranked the highest is who you're likely to go for. <laughs> um, but do you find yourself kind of gravitating towards any of these guys to... The Redeem team. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't like this group. I, I, ho I hope to skip this range of the pitching rankings uh, unless I just, you know, unless maybe if it's a deep league, I'll have to go for somebody here. Uh, I rank Bieber the highest. And it is kind of a safety measure because I have him paired there with, with Chris Bassett and Jose Barrios. Those are the last two before Shane Bieber in my rankings. And I see them as having similar upside at this point, which is how down I am on Bieber. Uh, I just, he, it, it seems like that shoulder injury he had a couple years ago broke him. He hasn't regained the velocity. He got by without it in 2022 because his breaking balls were just incredible. But they lost a lot of their effectiveness last year. He started mixing in a cutter more, which is usually an indication that a guy's trying to pitch to contact. And I just think, I think if Bieber's going to succeed, it's as an innings eater who barely keeps his ERA under four. And, you know, since he's had health issues, it's it's not exactly a safe bet either. And yet, I have a better idea what to expect from him than Carlos Rodon or you Darvish. I think if you're selling out for upside, Rodon and Darvish are both better bets. I, I do like Rodon, especially since we could kind of just discard last year for all the health issues he was having. Darvish, you know, even when he was good in 2022, he saw his strikeout effectiveness diminished a great deal. So I, I kind of feel like he's just aging out. I could be wrong about that. He could have another gear left in him. But uh, last year didn't do anything to reassure me. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm excited about drafting any of these. The one who has the most excited, the one I can, I can muster the most enthusiasm for, though, is Rodon. All right, there you go. The top 50 in Scott's early starting pitcher rankings. Obviously, we didn't talk in depth about all the players, but... We have all offseason to do that. There's like, you know, three, four more months before the season even starts. So we'll get to all these names in the offseason. Do want to wrap up with some news and notes. We had some smaller signings and things to talk about. Lourdes Gurriel is re-signing with the D-backs on a three-year, $42 million deal, which includes an opt-out after the second year and a club option for 2027. Great bounce-back year for Gurriel with the Diamondbacks. Hit 261 with a career-high 24 homers, 82 RBI, a 772 OPS. The early ADP is 236.9. 
as the 53rd outfielder off the board, Guriel going just behind names like Taylor Ward, Jared Kelnick, and Starling Marte. Uh, Justin, what do you think about the price tag for Lourdes Guriel? I was listening to you guys recently, and uh, I didn't know you were such a Jared Kelnick stand. So what do you think about like <laughs> Kelnick, Kelnick versus Guriel? Is that like the right range? What do you think? I mean, part of me goes, oh, I'm going to take Kelnick. But I actually think you probably should take Guriel just because, especially with his contract, like his playing time's guaranteed. Like if Kelnick is like on the bench or in the minor leagues, it's not going to be surprising, especially with his move to Atlanta. While it's a much better park for Kelnick, like it's also a lot more competitive in terms of the other guys around there. And they're, you know, they, they might have a short leash with him. Whereas Grail's just going to play. Um, I'm a little surprised he ended up back in Arizona considering, uh, you know, he's probably going to DH more often than not. Uh, probably buries, you know, guys like Dominic Fletcher and Jake McCarthy a little bit, uh, which is fine. Cause I don't think either of them are particularly good at baseball, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, Roasted. I think Gur- yeah, Guriel is a totally fine kind of fifth outfielder in a deeper league. He's not someone I'm jumping for joy with. I don't see like this massive upside. So for those of you who do play in like tens and twelves, like I'm probably ignoring him for a higher upside bat that I can just kind of filter in throughout the season. I do wonder what this kind of means for Jordan Lawler, at least this season too, because there have been rumors that the D-backs still want to add a DH and you know, they've been kind of linked to JD Martinez. There's a little bit of a history there. So uh, between bringing in Suarez and Lourdes Gurriel, if they bring in a DH, I just don't know how it's going to happen uh, unless Geraldo Perdomo just kind of falls flat on his face. So uh, I think that'll Which I be, don't expect. Yeah, that'll be something to watch here this offseason for the Diamondbacks. The Royals have been very busy. Seth Lugo and Michael Waka are reunited. How about that? The Royals signed Waka to a two-year, $32 million contract. The deal includes an opt-out after the first year. And uh, Michael Waka, the past two years, I mean, we're, we're kind of just waiting for it to fall apart, but it hasn't. He has made 47 starts since the beginning of 2022, a 327 ERA, a 114 whip. Strikeout numbers are not great, but the results have been there. Uh, Scott, the early ADP on Michael Waka is 271.6, going just ahead of Seth Lugo. Who would you rather have? I mean... <laughs> It, it makes sense that they're linked like that because they both they both succeed in spite of their modest strikeout ability, and um, they were leaving the same team. Now they're going to the same team. It's like it's hard to tell them apart almost. I, and so my my analysis for Waka going to the Royals is pretty similar to what I gave for Lugo going to the Royals. Is is that okay? Well, it's a good park that should help. That that could help him keep that ERA on the low side, even though the peripherals said say it should go up. He's going to be in a great place to pitch now, so I, I guess that's good. But overall, I think it's a net loss in fantasy because now he's with the Royals, and so yeah. what's what's his win potential going to look like? And for those innings eater, non strikeout types, you really want to get wins from them. Uh, I I think I think they're both. Pretty fringe. Pretty Justin fringe. does have some love for the Royals that he has love, been talking about on our show, and now you throw in a Hunter Renfro. So I'm going to defer to Justin here to talk these guys up. There's actually two guys I've quite liked over the years, big-time Waka fans since he came into the majors, and I, I like Lugo now that he's a starter. But I'm going to let Justin go because he's been talking up the virtues of KC. So maybe they have some wins in their back pocket for those guys. I think Kansas City's kind of a dark horse team right here. Like, they... You know, it's a really interesting young offense uh, that is growing. Uh, they now add these two guys who, yeah, they're not top of the rotation arms, but 
Like they could be interesting number three guys in a lot of rotations. It's a great park to pitch in, and the division is atrocious. Like if the Royals win the Central, is anybody really going to be that surprised? Like the Twins haven't gotten better. The Guardians have gotten worse. The Tigers are on the upswing too, but like there's still a lot of holes there. Like this is a winnable division. I think you're sleeping a little bit on the win potential for these Royals. Um, last year, I predicted that the uh, Dimebacks would win the NL West. I missed out on that. They made it to the World Series instead. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, when I'm in Vegas, when I'm in Vegas, I'm gonna put a little bet on the Royals to win the division. I think there's a uh, not. I'm not thinking they're they may actually do it, but I think they got a little shot. I think <laughs> people are sleeping on them right now. I do want to say. As somebody who doesn't believe in the Royals' chances next year, like what this feels like a missed opportunity for all the contending clubs that need starting pitch. I'm thinking of the Braves specifically, of course, but like these were reasonable short term contracts signed by Michael Walker and Seth Lugo, who, okay, yeah, I don't believe in entirely either, but they're going to eat some innings for you. Like, why do you want the wasted? Like, wouldn't they be better served on your team than, than, Wasted in Kansas City like that. I'm surprised some some more firmly contending teams didn't go for those dudes too. I agree. I do think that Super. I agree that the Tigers are on the upswing too. So I might smell like a little head to head bet here between uh Justin's Royals and Paul's Tigers. If I'm in, <laughs> can make I'm that in happen. All day. Uh, we, <laughs> My Royals. Uh, we mentioned a few times Hunter <laughs> Renfro. Now. Hunter Renfro signed a one year deal with the Royals, which includes a player option for 2025. Uh, turns 32 years old in January. A down year for Hunter Renfro. Hit 233 with 20 homers. But he was coming off a successful two-year run in Boston and Milwaukee where he hit 257, had an 812 OPS, and averaged 30 home runs per season. Obviously, Kauffman Stadium is not conducive to power, but I think there could be potentially some sneaky power here very late in drafts. Uh, Paul, any interest? I mean, we're talking yes. like, you know, these draft champions. I'm sure he's going entirely Dirt too cheap. late. Yeah. He, he was 503 in, in the most recent drafts, most recent five drafts. And yes, it'll go up with the, uh, with, with, with him signing. But even if it goes up a hundred picks, I'll pay pick 400. And I agree. Kaufman's not the best place for Renfro, but he's an anywhere power kind of guy. He's got big boy power. So I'm not too worried. I do think he can still get back into the upper twenties, low thirties. Uh, if everything's right with his health and whatnot. And he's a decent enough defender that I think he should continue, you know, that he should stay locked into the uh, um, into the lineup pretty consistently too. So I do like Renfro. Solid move by them. Another solid move by the Royals. Some smaller deals, by the way. The Pirates signed Martin Perez to a one-year, $8 million deal who put up a 445 ERA and a 140 whip this season after a career year in 2022. Does give the Pirates some innings. Uh, their rotation is currently Mitch Keller, Martin Perez, Marco Gonzalez, Luis Ortiz, and Bailey Falter with some uh, pretty interesting pitching prospects on the way as well. The Giants signed catcher Tom Murphy to a two-year deal, who is likely to be the backup catcher behind Patrick Bailey. Oh, yeah. I forgot Justin's actual team is the Giants, so obviously he's, right. he's fist-pumping all the way for and Tom he's Murphy. he's getting excited about Tom Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> well, why not? We finally signed someone. It's oh, okay. amazing. Uh, you guys are in the mix now. Yeah. Uh, we're still waiting on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. There's been a ton of rumors requested a second meeting with the Yankees met again with the Mets obviously the Dodgers the Red Sox the Phillies the Giants are all still in on Yamamoto so we'll wait and see and last but not least the Blue Jays have shown interest in trading for Jonathan India who I expect will not be with the Cincinnati Reds on opening day 
We are going to wrap there. Got to thank both of these fine gentlemen for joining us once again, Paul Sporer Good and Justin Mason. What's up? All right, say their actual names. Sorry, I bulldozed <laughs> The Globfathers, that's right. Uh, Paul Sporer, you can follow him on Twitter at Sporer, that's S-P-O-R-E-R. And you can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin Mason F-W-F-B. Make sure to check them out on the Sleeper and the Bus podcast as well. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate you jumping on. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a blast. Thank you, guys. All right. For Paul and Justin and Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.